You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I um, went to play golf several years ago with my brother-in-law. His name is Ronnie. And uh, he's not really, wasn't at that time, rather, I should say, able to play golf. He, he had had heart failure. And so he didn't have the physical energy, actually, to play a hole. But once in a while... He was driving the cart and I was playing golf and he would get out and hit a ball or two off the tee maybe. But that was about really all he could do at that point with his physical situation. And so I've been praying for him and I've been praying for this opportunity to talk to him about Jesus. And it seemed to me that this was my opportunity. And so as I got closer to bringing up the subject, my heart seemed to beat faster and faster and, and he's my brother-in-law, he's family, and I know him really well, so why is that so hard? I don't know, but it was really hard. And so finally, I just said to him, man, Ronnie, you know I love you so much, but I feel like that if I love you, like that I believe I love you, I will love you enough to talk to you about sometimes the difficult things to talk about in life. And, and I feel like I need to talk to you about your relationship with God. He really wasn't expected to live very long. And in fact, he passed away about three years ago. And so when I said that, he kind of grinned and, and almost to laugh. He, he, he always called me Ricky. He said, oh, Ricky, I'm okay. I didn't really know what to do with it. I leaned forward and I kind of turned my neck. He was driving the car and I said, really? Ronnie, are, are you okay? And he didn't answer me. And it was awkward, and finally I just believed that was an opportunity to begin to talk to him about Jesus. And I said, I don't know when you're going to die. I may die before you die. But I can't imagine you dying not being ready to die. But it's about a lot more than that. Because Jesus talks about this new birth. About changing somebody's heart and life. And I want you to have all of that. When the conversation finally ended, it ended like this. He says to me, um, I really appreciate you loving me enough to talk to me about that. And I could tell it was really hard for you. But I appreciate it. I hated the way it ended because I didn't want it to end like that. I wanted it to end like where he stops the golf cart, you know, and we kneel out there on the fairway and, and he gives his heart to Jesus or something. And I really hated the fact that he said, I can tell it was really hard for you. Because I don't understand why it has to be hard for me. When I read the narrative in the New Testament about those early followers of Jesus, it wasn't like they were trying to figure out how I can break into this faith conversation. And it didn't seem like to me it was really hard for them. In fact, they said things like this. We can't help it. We can't stop talking about Jesus. But when I look at people like us, it seems like we're kind of the opposite. It's really hard for us. And we're trying to figure out a way how we can break into a faith conversation with somebody. And so I read this statistic. And I read it and then I just said, I don't know if I believe it. (laughs) It was done by a group called Lifeway. And they do all kinds of research, polling people who are Christian and not Christian and all that. And so here's what they came up with. They say that half of the people in America who aren't Christians, 
say that they would appreciate a faith conversation with a Christian about God and spiritual life, okay? Half of the people in the U.S. who aren't Christians say they would love to have a conversation about faith, about God, about spiritual life with a Christian. And I don't know, just the people that I'm around, it doesn't seem like they're just kind of saying, I hope he talks to me about Jesus. I mean, maybe they are. Here's what I do know, that Jesus wants to transform people's lives. And he often chooses to do that by using people like you and me in the process. That's what I do know. That Jesus wants to transform people's lives and he often uses people like us in that process. That's what I know for sure. So let me take you to the Gospel of John. Okay, chapter 1. John chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 43, okay? 43. And... um, in a moment, we'll put the words on the screen. What, what happens in the Gospel of John is he uses a lot of descriptive language about Jesus in that first chapter. Lots of descriptive language about Jesus. Um, he says things like this. In the beginning, he was with God. John says Jesus was God. He says Jesus is the true light that gives light to every man. He says, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He says, grace and truth came through Jesus. This is all in chapter 1. He says, Jesus is himself God and is closest in relationship with the Father. He says, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, Jesus is God's chosen one. He says, Jesus is rabbi. Jesus is teacher. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the King of Israel. All of this is in chapter 1. And so, John begins writing about another John, a guy whose name is John the Baptist. And so, in verse 19 through like 28, John the Baptist is trying to convince people that I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the Christ. I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness to make straight the path for the Lord. And he was telling people this in a town called Bethany. I've heard of a town called Bethany. And so the next day, day two, John sees Jesus, John the Baptist. And he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he begins to say, I saw the Spirit of God come down like a dove and remain on him. And I can testify, I can tell you that this is God's chosen one. On day three, he sees Jesus again. The next day, he sees Jesus again. And he's with disciples and he says, look, the Lamb of God. And two of those disciples followed Jesus. And Jesus says, why are you following me? And they said, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. And so they went with him and they spent the day with him. And one of them was named Andrew, who has a brother named Simon. And the first thing he does is he goes and gets his brother Simon. And he says, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. And I love this verse in the Bible. It says that Andrew brings his brother to Jesus. So just pull over for a minute, get out, and look at that one, will you? He brings him to Jesus. Who have you brought to Jesus? I think it's a legitimate question if you're a Christ follower. Who are you bringing to Jesus right now? Who are you hoping to introduce to Jesus? 
And then we come to verse 43. The next day, day four, you ready? Here we go. Let me put the words up here. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. So finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And so Philip does something like Andrew did. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. And so Philip finds Nathaniel. And Philip tells him about Jesus. All right? We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so here is Nathaniel's response. Nazareth, can anything come good rather come from there? Nathaniel asked him. And so Philip's response was, well, why don't you just come and see? And so when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael? Ask. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, before Philip even called you. And then Nathanael declares, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You will see the full revelation of God through the Son of Man. So this is God's word for us today. Uh, Maybe 15 years ago. Uh, I had some friends who said to me, you should buy this one book. And it was written by a guy whose name was Jim Simbla. He pastors a church in New York City, and the church is called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And as I began to read the book, I could understand their interest in it. He tells a story in the book about his daughter, whose name is Chrissy. And he says when Chrissy was 16, she began to stray from us. He said, at first, I don't think I noticed it because I was so busy pastoring my church. But when I realized that she was not only strained from us, but she was strained from God. It got really bad. There were many nights we we didn't know where Chrissy was. We didn't know where she slept. We didn't know where she stayed. We would go days without hearing from her. He said, I remember getting up on Sunday morning and driving to church and crying most of the way there and thinking to myself and asking God, how can I, how can I preach today? Three services, knowing the condition that Chrissy is in. By the time that she got 18, we saw her very little. Her life was completely out of control. And, and the enemy, the devil, began to really attack my wife, saying, Look at you, Carol. Um, you're writing great music, and, and you're leading this great choir, and you're selling CDs to everybody in the world, but I've got your, your daughter, and I'm coming after your other two kids. So go ahead and save everybody you want to save, but your kids are mine. He said, I remember there being this definitive moment in that whole nightmare where one day I felt like God was saying to me, Jim, I want you to stop crying. I want you to stop screaming. I want you to stop talking to everybody you see about Chrissy. I just want you to stop all of it. I want you to start just talking to me about it. 
And he said, so I did. I stopped crying. And, and I stopped talking to everybody that I saw. And I just started talking to God. And I began to pray with this intensity for my daughter that I hadn't prayed with before. He said, I remember one Tuesday night at this prayer meeting we were having at our church. And the place was full of people who were praying. Um, it'll be a little bit like March the 5th when you come and, and you pray with us on March the 5th. And he said, one of the ushers came and tapped me on the shoulder as I was praying. And he handed me a note and I opened the note and it was from this lady that I had a lot of respect for. I, I really had respect for her sensitivity to, to the Holy Spirit. And, and I read the note and it said, Pastor, I think we should stop the prayer meeting. And I think we should pray for your daughter, Chrissy. He said, I remember standing up and picking up a microphone and saying, a lot of you know about what's going on with my daughter, Chrissy. She is, she is so far from God these days. I guess she's confused. She doesn't know whether up or is down or down is up. She thinks light is dark and dark is light. But I do not believe that she's out of the reach of God. Although she's living in deep, deep sin. And so I'm going to ask you to join me and pray for her. And he said, I remember this pastor who was on staff with us and he begins to pray. And I stood behind him with my hand on his back and he said, people begin to pray. And at first it seemed like a normal prayer, but, but something happened in that prayer meeting. And he said, all of a sudden it seemed like I heard people praying with this groan that I'd never heard people pray with before. There was this sense of intensity that I'd never really experienced in a prayer service in all of my life. I got home that night and my wife was waiting up for me and we sat down and we had a cup of coffee together and I said to her, Carol, this, this whole mess is over. She said, what's over? I said, this whole nightmare about Chrissy is just over. If there's a God in heaven, it's over. You would have had to have been at the prayer meeting, but something happened. I can't explain it. I just know when the power of God moves. And he says, 32 hours later on Thursday morning, I was in the bathroom shaving and my wife comes bursting into the bathroom and she says, Jim, go downstairs. It's Chrissy. She wants to see you. I didn't shave the foam off my face. I, I took a towel and I wiped it off my face and I headed downstairs and in my kitchen, there was my daughter on her hands and knees and she was rocking back and forth. Her eyes were bloodshot and I ran to her and she wraps her arms around my leg and she holds on and she says, Daddy, you got to tell me something. Who was praying for me Tuesday night? I, I reached down and, and I pulled her little skinny body up into my arms and I, I looked into her bloodshot eyes and I said, Chrissy, what are you saying? Daddy, who was praying for me Tuesday? Tuesday night, God came to me and it was like He showed me where my life was going. I've been so wrong. I've been such a sinner. I've been so hard. I've been so rebellious. I'm sorry, Daddy. But it was also like that He put His arms around me. God did that night. And He drew me close and He like hugged me. And it was the first time I'd felt that in a long time. And almost with the attitude of a cross-examining attorney, she kept saying, Daddy, who prayed for me Tuesday night? 
He said, I looked into the eyes of that little frame of that little girl. And all of a sudden, I recognized the girl I had raised. Jesus changed her heart that night. Or that morning, rather. She decided she wanted to go off to Bible college, and she did. And she met a guy who was going into the ministry, and they began to pastor a church together. And and he concludes the story by simply saying these words. You understand, don't you, that nothing, nothing is impossible for God. Do you understand that Jesus wants to transform people's lives? In conversations with a good friend and in a book that I'm reading these days by a guy named Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy, I I am coming to want to be more careful how I articulate the fact that a person is saved. It's not about just saying, I want to get myself ready to die, or I want to be forgiven of my sins so I can go to heaven when I die. It's much deeper than that. It's not just fire insurance. It's about letting Jesus Christ transform my life. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, I'm talking about being born again. I'm talking about this rebirth. I'm talking about, I don't think like I used to think. I don't do what I used to do. My life has been changed. Jesus has changed my heart. I have been transformed. And and I got a feeling that I am looking into the eyes of a whole bunch of people who are saying, Rick, I want to be a part of that. I would love it if God would use me somehow to see people's lives changed. I I doubt if there's a person in the room this morning who would say, I don't know anybody who doesn't need to be changed. And for most of you, it's somebody that you love a great deal. And you know what they need more than anything else in the world is for Jesus to change their hearts Because their hearts are not right. So, Jesus leaves Bethany and Judea and he goes north through Samaria and into another region called Galilee. And he finds a guy named Philip. And Philip is one of those guys who isn't struggling to figure out how do I talk to somebody about Jesus But he couldn't help himself but tell somebody about Jesus. And he finds a guy named Nathaniel. It's interesting to me. Anybody named Nathan in the room? Any Nathans anywhere in the room? Wave at me really big if your name is Nathan. What's up? You just got married last summer, right? You know what your name means? Gift from God. Is that what your new wife calls you all the time? Did that just get awkward? Should I move on? Okay. It gets better, married life does, I promise. It'll work out. Nathan, we think we found the Messiah. You know his response is not exciting initially. (laughs) Jesus from Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel was not an irreligious person who had no regard for God. He was a devout Jew. 
Jesus himself said, there is no deceit in you, Nathaniel. He had read the Old Testament scriptures, but never did he read anything about the Messiah coming from Galilee. It was going to come from Bethlehem, right? But Philip doesn't argue with him. I love this. You know what he does? Listen to this. You've got to hear this, okay? Really important stuff today. You know what he does? He does not argue with him. You know what he does? He invites him. Come and see. That's all he says to him. Come and see. He does not get into an argument with him. He just says, why don't you come and see? And so Nathaniel goes to see Jesus. You're a good man, Nathaniel. No deceit is in you. How do you know that about me, Jesus? I saw you while you were under the fig tree. There's this really cool conversation that comes from 1 Kings and Micah where that one day a man will stand under his own fig tree and he will not be afraid. And it's this idea that peace will be in the nation and there won't be enemies and the Messiah would bring that in. And so there's a lot happening there that's really special to a Jewish man. But I think it's also a great reminder that Jesus sees us always. Jesus saw you early this morning. He will see you late tonight. The Bible tells us that he knows the number of the hairs on your head. Why would you even know that? Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You're serious. I'm serious. Before the word gets to my tongue, God already knows it. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, the scripture says, I knew you. How could you know me before I was? I knew you. God sees you. I I, I love this because um, it tells me that I don't have to impress anybody. Because most days I don't feel very impressive. Can I get a witness in the house? It wasn't Philip who impressed Nathaniel. It was Jesus. And I've learned that sometimes all I really have to do is make the introduction. And Jesus takes it from there. And Nathaniel says, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Nathaniel is changed. His heart changes. He was saying, how could any good thing come from Nazareth? And now he is saying, you are the Son of God. His life is transformed. He used to think that way. Now he thinks that way. He used to believe this. Now he believes that. He used to be this. Now he has become that. Jesus changes people's lives. And he used Philip to make it happen. And he wants to use you to make it happen in somebody else. So, I've been talking to you a little bit about this guy whose name is Jim Bond. I heard him preach a few weeks ago. And I'll hang it up after this. I won't bring his name up anymore. But he asked some really great questions. He asked questions like, um, what if everybody in your church was like you? Would that be a good church? You want to go to that church? Is that the way you want your church to be? What if every member of your church was like you? Is that a great church? And so if you wanted to be really technical, you might say, that's not a fair question. We're all very different. I happen to think it's a great question, but I will narrow it for you if that's how you're feeling. What if every member of this church was like you in regard to sharing your faith with others? 
Now, is that a great church? Is that a church that's going to introduce a lot of people to Jesus? What if everybody in this church was like you in regard to sharing Jesus? Does that church have a future? As an old man, he asked this question. He talked about, I love memories, I have lots of memories. But if I come to the place in my life that I have only memories and I have no dreams, I'm in trouble. My Morgan is here today. She's 20. When she was in third grade, we were driving in the car one day together. And somehow we got on this idea of dreams. What do you dream about? What do you hope for? What do you envision? And I don't remember how we got on the subject, but um, she said to me, Daddy, what do you dream about? I knew the question was coming before she landed it, and I was not wanting to hear it. I was in a tough season of my life, and I'll be honest with you, I wasn't dreaming much. And so I just threw it back at her. What are you dreaming about, Morgan? No, Daddy. I want to know, what are you dreaming about? And I said, Morgan, um, you know, you're not going to understand all of this, but I've been going through some kind of tough times. And I'm not dreaming right now like I used to dream. You could tell she was really sad. I kind of kept driving the phone rings. It's Brittany. Brittany says, hi, Daddy. I said, hey, Britt. And Morgan, as loud as she could, kind of leaned toward the phone and said, Brittany, we're talking about dreams and Daddy doesn't have any. <laughs> and he's got a tear in his eye. And I said, Brittany, I don't have a tear in my eye. We're driving into the sun. It's the sun in my eye. (laughs) Okay, maybe there is a tear in my eye, but why did you say that just now? It's a tough life when you don't dream. It's a difficult life when you don't hope for stuff. What do you dream about? You want to you know what I dream about when it comes to thinking about sharing Jesus? I think about, I dream rather about people in our after school program who become friends with some of us. And we introduce them to Jesus. And their lives are transformed. And they used to believe that, but now they believe this. And they used to be this, but now they're that. I I dream about Thaddeus at Two Lakes and the people who work with him there sharing Jesus with people and people's lives being transformed. I, I dream about my wife Annette and I meeting people and sharing Jesus with them and their lives being changed forever. I'm not talking about people that you bring in, that I preach to. I'm talking about the people that Annette and I meet and we make friends with, and we invest our lives in, and they become Christ's followers. So let me wrap that story up. So Dr. Bond, this guy that was speaking in Phoenix where I was at this event a few weeks ago, said, if I was going to be a pastor again, 
I would do some things differently. And one of the things I would do differently, I would develop a personal plan of evangelism. All those years he said I pastored, I didn't have one. But if I had to do it over, I would have one. And here's what it would look like. Don't write this down, okay? I'm going to give you something in a minute. He said, number one, I would pray and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in regard to every person that I meet. And I would say, God, is this a person that you want me to invest my life in? And I would pray about it until I felt like God gave me a yes or a no. And if God gave me a yes, I would write their name down. I would pray for them every day. I would make a contact with them every week. And I would pray for the Spirit to lead me to know when to share Christ with them. And so I drove away from that experience saying to myself, that's a good plan for me. When Morgan and Brittany were small growing up, even all through high school, they played sports. And we would go to soccer fields and spend Saturday after Saturday there. And we met so many people. And there was a great opportunity to witness to people. But honestly, Annette and I are struggling since we moved here. And our girls are older. And I said, that's a good plan. I need a plan. I'm meeting people every day, right? Surely I'm meeting people that Jesus would love for me to invest in, right? So I'm going to start praying about every person I come into contact with. And something happened. Before you knew it, I had three people that I was praying for every day. It was like Jesus was saying, you want to get involved? Oh, if you want to get involved, I can involve you. You want to get busy? I can get you busy. I need a lot of help. And so I brought something for you today. Would you take out the worship folder that you were given when you came through the door? And on the front page, you'll notice that it's perforated. You can fold it really easy. Would you fold it over? Everybody, everybody, everybody. And then just tear it off, will you? I don't know about you, but it might look like a bookmark. It's a little long. You might have to fold it over for some books. But I wish you would hang on to it for a long time. And here's what it says. There's four little steps there. Be led by the Spirit. Everybody you come into contact with, begin to say, Lord, is that somebody that you would have me to invest my life in? I've been doing that these last few weeks, and it's amazing to me how I see people differently. And so when I meet somebody, I just see them with this different, this different, this different idea. And I begin to pray for that person until I get an answer. And when I've got the answer, they go on this list, it's in my phone. And every morning when I pray, I open this up and I'm praying for other people, people who are going through stuff in life, people who are sick, but also on that list are these people that I'm praying for, that they'll come to know Jesus. I pray every day without exception. And every week I make some kind of contact. And I don't have to show up on their doorstep every week saying, it's me again. But sometimes it's an email, sometimes it's a text, sometimes it's a note, sometimes it's lunch. But make a contact every week. And then the last thing I'm I'm asking you to do is to invite. What does that look like for you? Invite them to church? Invite them into a faith conversation. Invite them to come and see Jesus. 
Invite them into a personal relationship. I don't know what that will look like for you in those relationships that you develop, but I'm asking you to invite. Take the next step. As you have prayed for them daily over a period of time and you have been a part of their lives by making contacts with them, at some point you'll come to a place you're saying, I'm ready to invite. And maybe I'm going to invite them to church. Maybe that's what I should do. Maybe I'm going to invite them into a faith conversation. Maybe I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. Share my own story. Maybe I'm going to invite them to come to know Jesus. Whatever it looks like for you. You understand Nathaniel's life was changed. And God uses Philip to change it. And who does God want to change their life by using you? That was really a bad sentence. Whose life does God want to change by using you? That's what I want to say. So I was headed back to the office a couple days ago. And this guy came to my mind and I picked up the phone and I said, Hey, I know it's late notice, but I could stop by your house and see you for a minute on my way to the office. No, come on, come on. Diagnosed with cancer. Last doctor's visit was a hard one. We're talking about months at the most here. You're not going to live, Ray. And so we talked about the fact that death is probably near. And his wife says to him, but Ray, you know, you know that Jesus has changed you and you know that you're ready to die. He said, I believe I do. I said, Ray, you know what gives me such encouragement here? It's not just that you've prayed to be forgiven of your sin or prayed that you go to heaven when you die. I said, Ray, Jesus has changed your life. You would have never talked like you're talking now before, would you? He goes, oh, no. You would have never thought like you think now, would you? Oh, never would I have thought like I think now. When I prayed, you agreed in prayer. When your wife prays, you agree with her. Would you have ever done that before? He goes, no. I said, Ray, Jesus has changed you. And I remember one day after I left, his wife says to him, Ray, you know what Rick's talking about, right? Do you want to know Jesus? Would you want me to pray with you? And God uses her Because Jesus transforms lives, but He often uses people like us. And she leads her husband of all of these years in this prayer. And He says, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Change who I am. We got on our knees before I left in their living room. And His two daughters were there, adult daughters. We held hands and we all prayed together. I said, Lord, Ray may beat us to heaven. I don't know. But I'm glad you changed his life. And God almost always uses us in the process. You you, you know what I want to do this morning? I want to be bold, but sometimes it's hard to be bold. This morning I want to say Kyle is going to come up and he's going to lead us in that song again. And in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand and it's like I want to say, hey, are are you willing to do something like this? And maybe my plan is not your plan. 
But are you willing to really begin to pray for people who don't know Jesus? Are you really willing to begin to invest in their lives intentionally? Then if you are, would you come this morning and would you get on your knees before God and make a commitment and say to Him, I am willing to do it. I want you to use me. I want to see lives transformed. And if you want to use me to do it, then here I am. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm not good at this stuff. I've never really tried it that much before, but I can at least ask you if you want me to write somebody's name down. And if you say yes, then I will. I can pray every day and I can contact every week and I can just, you know, maybe shaking and maybe hard like Rick was with his brother-in-law, but I will try to invite to something. And if you're willing to make that commitment, I want to just say to you, would you just Would you just come down and get on your knees and say, God, I'm committing myself to you. Do you have any idea what God could do through us? And can I tell you that in these last three weeks, as I've been praying for these people, it is the most life-giving thing that I have done in years. The energy in me is like it has not been for a long time. I believe God is going to use me. Do you believe God can use you? And so you could come and pray about whatever you need to pray about this morning. And and if you're not a Christian, you might be saying, Rick, invite me. (laughs) I'm inviting you right now to come this morning and get the attention of one of the pastors. There'll be two standing. I will be down here. And we can help you pray this prayer to say, I want you to change my heart, Jesus. So let's stand. Let's sing and let's pray. I'm laying down my life. I'm giving up control. I'm never looking back. I surrender Sing it out.
abundantly more than we would ever ask or imagine. Work powerfully in our lives, Lord. And even as we walk away from here today and we begin to make contact with people because we're going to see a lot of people today and a lot of people tomorrow, let us be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and ask ourselves, is this, is this someone I should begin praying for? Lord, when we get a yes from you, just say, okay, here I go every morning, every day. And to make contacts week after week. You're going to give us some of us friends, Lord, that we've never had before. You're going to help us to come to know people that we had never dreamed of meeting. With eternal purpose. Some of us are going to be very, very blessed. Some of us are going to struggle. For some, it's going to be difficult. You're going to give new life to many of us, Lord, through this process. And then, Lord, give us the courage and give us the opportunity. And let your Spirit lead us and let us know when we should invite. And for some, it's to a church service. And for some, it's into a faith conversation. And for some... We're going to say to one person one day, would you like to know Jesus now? Use us, I pray, God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Let's worship some together and stay and pray as long as you need. And as you're ready to go, you feel free to leave, but leave quietly today, okay? You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. 
Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.